Thanks, guys. That was super. I just want to, to pray for Paul as he brings God's word to us. So let's pray. Lord, as we draw near to you, draw near to us. As Paul opens your word to us, we pray for him. Fill and anoint him with your spirit. Although we're a room of, of strangers to him in one sense, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. One Lord, one faith, and that binds us together in love for one another. We pray for open ears. We pray for soft hearts. We pray for hard feet to do your will. So bless this time to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Great. Um, well, thank you for your welcome. We're kind of blown away by how kind you've all been. Um, we're very excited about this invitation. Um, I don't think Norman and I had ever met before, but um, Norman had come over to the New Wine England Leadership Conference, and so we connected after that, and we've been having Zoom meetings. He's a lot taller in person than he was when he was about that high on my screen, which has been exciting. Um, and we, we just love to come to places like this because um, not only do you have such a great welcome, but there's an incredible sense of the Spirit of God moving in this place as we worship together. So we feel right at home, and we'll hope... Um, that you'll let us just come and, and do our thing. So as Norman said, um, Becky and I, we lead a church called All Saints Woodford Wells, which is in northeast London. Um, we've been married for 31 years, and we've actually been at our church for uh, 28 as well. So I became vicar at the age of 12, clearly. Um, and uh, we've been there. It's a complete surprise to us that we're still there, but God just keeps opening up sort of new horizons and new things to do. And we're in a really exciting um, season where um, we've done some church planting over the last few years, and we're now looking to find ways of sustaining that and multiplying that as well. Um, and then the last six years as well, uh, I've had the privilege of being national leader for New Wine England, which is a, a renewal movement of um, churches. In England, it's mainly um, Anglican churches, but now, now New Wine is in actually 15 different countries around the world. And uh, Lots of a mixture, but wherever we go, we just encounter the presence of God as we did this morning. Uh, we've got two now adult children, Joshua and Rachel. Um, they're 23 and 20. They're at opposite ends of the autistic spectrum. So they're both autistic. Joshua's very low functioning, doesn't speak. Uh, Rachel's very high functioning, doesn't speak to us. It's a sort of pretty similar thing, really. Uh, but she's very clever and um, just kind of like does, the social side of life is a bit difficult. And we might, you know, tap into that story a little bit as we go on today. But um, we're going to share a little bit of some of our own personal journey, not because we want you to go away thinking, whoa, aren't they wonderful? But um, because we want you to know that if God can do it with us, he can do it with anybody. Um, that we genuinely think we're just... We're incredibly blessed. We're very ordinary. Um, and, and yet God has enabled us to do things that have been beyond um, our expectation. And he's been able just to carry on going and pursuing him, even when there's lots of things that, humanly speaking, have made us thought we ought to stop or we haven't got enough to do this. But God is gracious and God will enable you to do whatever you call him, uh, he calls you to do. But the issue really often is what our expectation is. And so part of our theme today is as we think about momentum um, and keeping in step with the Spirit is that 
Um, as we are pursuing what Jesus has for us, we need to make sure that we are receiving all the encouragements that the scripture gives and that the spirit gives. So this as a word and spirit conference is, is absolutely what we're about. Um, just very briefly, my, my own personal history. So I grew up in a very traditional church in England. And um, it was the sort of church where the closer you got to this end, the holier it got, the more care you needed to take, more clothes you needed to wear. It was that sort of church. Um, and it, it gave me an incredible sense of the God who made the heavens and the earth. But he wasn't a relatable God. You know, we, we had to kind of worship him and we did kind of love him, but it was a distant thing. Um, and what happened for me was I, I went off to university and when I was at the university in the, the first week they have the freshest fair you know where all the clubs and societies put on their, their tables and their wares and invite you to join and I discovered this little thing called a Christian union which I'd never heard of a Christian union before I didn't know we had one I thought well I'm a Christian I should probably join the union you know just in case there are strikes or something like that so you know solidarity with the brothers and sisters so um, so I joined the Christian union and discovered it wasn't about that at all it was about um, reading the bible together um, so I, well that's a, that sounds like a Christian thing to do uh, it was a new thought because I'd heard the bible being read every Sunday of my life in church quite a lot of bible being read actually um, but I never read it for myself. So I'd, I had my confirmation Bible with me. Um, so do you know what a confirmation Bible is? It's basically a normal Bible, but the pages are glued together. <laughs> so with gold or silver, normally like that. So I had my confirmation Bible with me. And as I um, went to these Bible studies, I had the embarrassment of, firstly, not knowing where any of the epistles were. So I had to always look up at the index to find how to find the, the Bible, and then, even more embarrassingly, peeling the pages apart for the first time as we read it. So they would sort of say, we're in Galatians 3. I go, great, hang on. You know, literally pulling the pages apart audibly. Uh, but reading the Bible, I met Jesus. And it's really strange, because I'd, obviously I'd been exposed to Jesus. I've been in his presence in church Sunday by Sunday for 18 years of my life. I'd heard him read. I'd heard him preached. But reading the Bible for yourself, somehow those words kind of jumped out of the pages and caught my heart and, and I, it all fell into place. I suddenly understood who he was, what he'd come to do. And that was the first of two, I think probably two big discoveries in my faith journey. First one is, who is Jesus and how has he come to restore relationship with the Father? Uh, and so I became passionate about that. My understanding of, of him coming to, to deal with our sins, to die on a cross for us, to do what we couldn't do for ourselves, to introduce us into a father who's not distant, even though he is high and lifted up, he also wants to come close and, and to put his love upon us. And, and that, my, my faith took off. I became a, a, a raving evangelist, much to the delight of my family at breakfast. Um, and um, got really heavily involved in, in outreach and um, Bible studies with people that were from other countries. And, um, but wasn't seeing, I wasn't seeing God change their lives in the way that he'd changed my life. So I was really clear that through reading the scriptures, my life had been dramatically transformed. So I thought, all I need to do is just do Bible studies with loads of people, and then they'll encounter Jesus in the same way. And a very few did, but most didn't. You could see God was at work, but most people were not having that kind of whole life being turned upside down experience that I'd had. 
And so I think I was praying for more without even knowing what the more was. I'd never met anybody who really talked much about the Holy Spirit. I had no expectation either from scripture or from people's testimony of what that might look like. But as I was just desiring that God would do more, I had this really um, strange week where for three, four or five times, I can't really remember now, but during that week as I tried to go lay, lay down and go to sleep, I felt the presence of God turn up in the room in a powerful way, that, in a way that I had never experienced, um, not even in church. And um, for me, it was an experience of just knowing the love of God for me, knowing a sense of joy in my salvation. I suppose previous generations might have called it assurance, perhaps. Um, but I, I was really, um, I'd come from, like I say, a very different background from most of the people in the Christian Union. So I genuinely, I was a little bit embarrassed. Um, and I thought, oh, finally, I'm having the experience that they've all had for all these years. And I was quite insecure in my faith, so I never told anybody what had happened. But I then, over the, last, uh, over the next few months, discovered that things that I knew in my head, I now knew in my heart. And there's a world of difference, isn't there, between knowing the love of God for you and actually knowing and experiencing and living in God's love for you. And that's what had begun to happen uh, in that. Um, and then what happened was that I carried on doing the Bible studies as badly as I had done before, but people started coming to faith as well, which is really exciting. Um, and, and that second discovery really was that God has not only come close to make himself knowable in Jesus, you know, the, the high and almighty God becoming a friend and a brother who's relatable, but he also wants to transform us from within. Our, our God is a consuming fire. Our God is wanting to empower us. Um, and those two discoveries, what, what Jesus does for us, what the Spirit does for us, have um, really shaped everything that's kind of come after that, really. And the first thing was, it really caused me to um, review the scripture and start thinking of it in a different way. I've put some fairly random scriptures up here. But these are sort of things I started reading in the Bible that I hadn't seen before. So at the beginning of Mark's gospel, it says that Jesus came into Galilee. That's not on the scripture, by the way. That's not on the screen. Um, but in Mark 1, before I get to Mark 3, in Mark 1, it says that Jesus came proclaiming the gospel. And the gospel was this, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand, and you should repent and believe the gospel. And so the gospel is not that Jesus has died to take our sins so that we can go to heaven when we die. That is within the gospel. It's part of it. But in the mouth of Jesus, when Jesus says, this is the gospel, what he is actually saying is the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's a present possibility that you can take hold of. And so I started seeing the scripture in a different way. The, the, the kingdom theme was throughout the whole New Testament. So whenever Jesus tells a story... It starts the same way, doesn't it? Think of all the stories of Jesus. We always call them parables. You remember how they start? It's not once upon a time. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. Everything Jesus taught about was about the coming of the kingdom of God, where God would be king, where he would rule and he would reign. You remember when he taught us to pray? He gave us the Lord's Prayer. Um, which is a prayer he couldn't pray, by the way, because in the middle of it, it says, forgive us our sins. And he didn't have any, so it wasn't a prayer that would ever sit lightly on his mouth. 
But he gave it for us. It's, it's his gift to us. This is how we should pray. And it starts off in typical sort of Jewish worship fashion. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then you get to the first powerful clause of what it is that we want. And it's your kingdom come. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like your will being done on earth as it is being done in heaven. And so what's going on in heaven compared to what's going on on the earth? In, in, in the earth, we see things like abuse and neglect and poverty. And uh, we see injustice and we see sickness. Is, is any of that happening in heaven? No. And the prayer then is that the conditions of heaven would become the conditions of earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done in Ballymena and Antrim and wherever you're from. As it is in heaven. In heaven it's the way that God wants. It's where he rules and he reigns. And Not only is he in control but actually his will is enacted. And that's what we're praying for. That it will happen upon the earth. And so getting that kingdom framework in mind, what I then discovered was that, okay, so we're meant to preach the gospel. We're we're meant to proclaim the coming kingdom of God. We're meant to proclaim that actually, yes, in Jesus, your sins can be forgiven. You can be with the Father forever, an eternal life that starts now. But we're also meant to address the social ills of our society and the structural injustices and the lack of care that we take for creation. It's all within this big picture of the kingdom of God. And then even more surprisingly, Jesus actually calls us to be part of it with him. And so in Mark 3, it calls the disciples. And he calls them that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And as you read through Mark, it's pretty clear as well that Jesus instructs them to go and to heal the sick as well. In Matthew chapter 10, which I've put up there, That's the sending of the twelve. He says, go preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Unless we think, well, that that was the first twelve, they were special. In Luke chapter 10, he does the same, but he does it to 72. He says, go proclaim the kingdom of God, heal the sick who are there. And when they come back, they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So Jesus from the beginning in his bringing of the kingdom of God would proclaim it and demonstrate it. He he would preach and then he would say, so you know what it looks like? He would then perform a miracle so that people would see it. And he seemed to think that that was a normal and natural thing for his disciples to do as well. That he, he, because of giving them power and authority, could ask them to then go and do the same. Now, as we go through the Gospels, obviously there's that great and terrible point where the disciples realize he's not going to be with them anymore. And it comes to us in John chapter 14, and we often read that at funerals, don't we? John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And usually we stop at that point. But actually, if we carried on, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough. And Jesus replies, if you remember, have I been with you this long and you don't know me? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And he goes on to talk about how he reveals the Father. He says, the words that I speak are not my own words, they're the words of the Father in heaven. But if anybody doesn't believe on account of the words, at least let them believe on account of the miracles. 
And so Jesus is basically saying, look, the way that I reveal the Father to you is the words and the works. And it's a, it's a partial answer because I think really what the disciples were worried about was the fact that Jesus wasn't going to be with them anymore. So it's all sort of like, well, great, thank you, Jesus. You know, you reveal the Father to us by, by words and by signs and wonders, but you missed the point. The point is, we just said, you're now going. And so having revealed the invisible God to us for three years, what next? Do we just tell everybody about it? It's really hard for people to see the invisible God, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever had the experience of trying to you know, talk to somebody about your faith and they, they just can't see it because literally they can't see it. You're describing something that you know is real but they're going, I can't see it. Are we going to go back into that? And Jesus says, no. I'll tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. In fact, somehow, unbelievably, we don't really know how, they will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father and we know that Jesus going to the Father means that the Father and the Son together send the Holy Spirit on the church and the ministry of the church can only be carried out in the power that the Holy Spirit enables us to walk in. And that's what this conference really is all about. It's, it's rethinking what discipleship might look like. And I'm firmly of the opinion that it is actually there in the scriptures it's how Jesus trained his disciples he he had one model of discipleship which was he was the model not just the master he, he didn't perform miracles because he was God even though he was he'd emptied himself of many of the perquisites of being God many of the characteristics of God you know we know God neither slumbers nor sleeps from the Psalms but Jesus slept didn't he in a boat uh, we know that God was omnipotent. Jesus got tired. We know that God is omniscient. Jesus asked questions. Who touched me? Um, you know, all of those things. You know, Jesus voluntarily emptied himself of that, humbled himself, became man, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself even further, ultimately to death upon the cross. And that's how God exalted him. But it also is, it's not just Jesus showing us what God is like, it's actually Jesus showing us what we could be like if we completely submitted to God and if we pursued God as Jesus pursued God. And we're never going to get there, but we can get further. So what really excites me about reading the Gospels is what God did through the disciples. And so to set up the expectation for today, um, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 14. So we've got to, this is the, bit, the Bible bit that I was going to focus on. So Matthew 14 is a, a difficult chapter in some ways because um, it begins with the death of John the Baptist. And um, Jesus needs to go away and be with his father, but he can't find time away because when he, when he goes away, uh, the crowds follow him and... Um, Jesus feeds the 5,000, and then he gets everybody to go away. And we read in Matthew 14, verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowds. This is the, this is the Sea of Galilee. Galilee is a, um, it's a very shallow lake. Um, it's surrounded on one side by mountains, on the other side by plains. And so you've got hot air, cold air, shallow lake, it's notorious for snap storms and, and things being whipped up. And that's what happens. So 
So it says in verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. The boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. We always assume, don't we, that if the wind's against us, we must have gone out of the will of God. But so often, actually, when, when we're doing what God wants us to do, we're getting pushback. And that's what seems to be happening here. It's often in the storms of life that we get to meet God in a new way as well. Um, you know, God brings out of terrible things that assail us. He brings out new experiences, new encounters that completely change us. They're little grace notes that we can take out of a time of difficulty or persecution or sickness. And this is exactly what happens to the disciples. That as they're going forwards and as they're experiencing opposition, and actually they're getting quite worried about sinking, they encounter Jesus in a new way. So shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. So this is an experience that they have not had before. They've never seen Jesus doing this before. What I want to do is just touch on a few things that happen because when we experience God doing things that we haven't seen before, our reaction to that is really significant and will determine whether we can embrace the bigger new thing of God and step into the more or whether we're going to hold ourselves back from it. So the first thing that happens is that they are afraid. When the disciples saw him doing what he'd never done before in their presence, walking on the lake, they were terrified. Now, when when the Holy Spirit begins to move in our lives or around us in our church fellowships, it's very, very common for us to feel afraid. And often as a result, people will say things like, well, all this Holy Spirit stuff, it makes me feel afraid. I've known God for many decades and been walking with him. God is a God of love. I feel totally comfortable in his presence. If I'm afraid, this makes me feel that this must be wrong. Uh, a moment's reading of the Bible will probably convince you that that's probably an illogical argument. Now just have a think. In, in the Bible, whenever the angels turn up, what's the first thing they say? Fear not, if you have an older Bible, or do not be afraid. Why is that? It's because angels are terrifying. When you are confronted with the bigger reality that you intellectually know about, but you haven't experienced before, it's, it makes you feel very small and very insecure. It causes you to question everything. So it's a normal reaction for us to be afraid sometimes in the presence of God. Unfortunately, they go a little bit further. It's a ghost, they say. And they cried out all the more in fear. So there is a danger sometimes that when God starts to move in a way that we haven't seen before, either in our life or in our fellowship, the lives of others around us, there's a danger sometimes that we will sit in judgment on it and we will label it as being of another spirit because we haven't known it ourselves. And that's exactly what the disciples do here. They say, it's a ghost. Slightly offensive to Jesus. They've been with him a couple of years by now. It's like, that's the master. No, they want to immediately put him off to one of the devil's team. It's a ghost. And they cry out in fear. Now, what I want to say is that these are normal and natural reactions to a new encounter with God. What we really need to know is the reaction of Jesus. So the first thing is Jesus reassures them. It says in verse 27, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is me, do not be afraid. It's actually, it's interesting, is it? The previous verse had them afraid, it's a ghost, and they were terrified. 
And Jesus says, take courage, it's me, do not be afraid. And I love that, you know, when, when we are going through that sense of I'm not sure what God is doing, there's always this loving sense of reassurance. God will speak to us. And that will be the same as well when we start stepping into things of the Spirit and as we start pushing out from safe harbour into slightly more uncharted and deeper waters. Listen for the reassurance of God. God and his goodness will show you his love. Um, there have been times when I've been in meetings and I've felt like God was stretching me slightly or what he was doing in my life was uncomfortable. But there was that still small voice that was saying, take courage, it's me, don't be afraid. You've got the scripture. Like I said, I mean, you know, my life was changed through reading the scripture and then I encountered also the Holy Spirit sovereignly. And I went back to the scripture and I, I began to see that my understanding of the scripture had been a little bit limited and he began to open up new, I began to see things in the scripture that I hadn't seen before. And gradually, I, 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 it, you, the scripture enlarged my vision of God. My, my God and my understanding had been very much in a box. And he sort of said, it doesn't really work, you can't put me in a box and he jumped outside it and showed me a bigger, more amazing world. So Jesus will do that. He may do that through testimonies. You, you, may know, you may not know what to think, but somebody else will say, I don't fully understand it either, but this is what God is doing in my life. And so we learn to listen together, to test together, to come around the scripture and to allow God to do more than we've known before. But this is the really exciting bit because Peter says, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, I love Peter's heart. He's always wanted to jump in there, isn't he? Um, and the thing, the thing about this passage that I think is so powerful is although my Bible says that uh, in its heading, which by the way is not inspired, it's been added by the good people of Zondervan, um, but the heading says Jesus walks on water. That is not the exciting thing about this passage at all. The exciting thing about this passage is that Peter walks on water. Jesus is always doing miracles. This is just another one. But Peter is one like us, known often for his failings and his faults and his stumbles as much as he is for his incredible strengths and passion for Jesus. So he says, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And I, I can think of all sorts of good reasons where Jesus would turn around and say, Peter, are you kidding me? With you, you know, you're, you're absolutely fickle. You're a sinful man. You've confessed that to me on several occasions. I'm the son of God walking on the water, which, by the way, I created. Do you think you can come and do this? Now, it's obvious, isn't it? And we probably go through something like that. Whenever we hear about Jesus saying things like, anyone who believes in me will do the things that I have been doing. Ask for anything in my name and it will be given to you. What's, what's your natural reaction to that scripture? Jesus was kidding. He didn't really mean it. Jesus meant it sort of metaphorically. It's not really a promise. Or probably you would sort of say, well, I do believe that, but actually I know I'm disqualified because I'm inadequate. Um, I feel that sense of imposter syndrome. He was talking about believers, yes, but not me. I'm somehow not that sort of believer. 
So we, we've always got a challenge when we come to the scripture because the scripture sets for us an expectation which is way above our experience. And our experience is that gap expectation to experience is so uncomfortable that we constantly go, well, what are we going to do with that gap? Well, we, most of us will take our expectation and we'll just drop it down until it gets to the level of our experience. And we'll go, I've never seen that, so that doesn't happen. I've never seen anybody healed, and so I don't expect anybody to be healed. And that, that is a, a resolution, but it's doing damage to what the scripture actually sets as the expectation. So what God has challenged me about over the years is to try, fairly haltingly and pathetically most of the time, but to try and raise my experience towards my expectation, keep allowing the scripture to set the expectation, say, I'm going to pursue that, Lord. And I know you've said it's, the kingdom is now, but it's not yet. You've said it's here, but you also told me to pray for it, to break in. And I know you've said that there are things that can happen only by prayer and fasting. I know you've said these things. So I'm going to pursue that, Lord. And by the grace of God, I've started to see some things. So much more I'd love to see, but I've started to see some things. So Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And this is one of the most beautiful words in scripture, I think. Come. It's all Jesus says. It's as simple as that. So if you find it in yourself that you desire more, if you find it in yourself that the scripture says that these things will be done by God's people in his church, if you desire to encounter him in, an, in a fresh way or, or to know him in a way that you've not known him before but the scripture seems to point you to then he's not asking anything hard from you, his invitation is just come come and it's such a powerful word which means that probably most of the barriers are on our side, not his it's not that he's withholding, it's not that he's ungenerous, it's not that he wasn't really offering that promise and he was just kidding it means that we find it difficult to pursue. And so Becky and I started thinking about what would have stopped Peter from getting out of the boat. And actually what would, what would stop us? Um, because it stopped the 11 others in the boat. They never went for it. Only Peter got out and went for a walk. And um, we came to the conclusion that there were two things really. One is the head and one is the heart. Uh, for me... It was always the dominant rational mind. You know, I, I, I was always saying things like, I can't get my head around it, and that would be a barrier for me. If I couldn't get my head around it, I wouldn't do it. It's not a great way of pursuing the God who is supernatural, whose ways are higher than our ways, whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You know, I, I had memorized the scripture in the early days. You'll probably know it. I used to do the Navigator's Topical Bible Memory System. Do you remember that, some of you? We're old oh, I'm really old, sorry. Never mind. Um, it's a little card. You used to have these little cards, about two inches by one inch, and had a scripture on it, and on one side it'd be New International, and you'd flip it over, it'd be the King James. So I've never used the King James as my Bible. There's still a few scriptures I've memorized in King James language somehow. But one of the first ones I ever um, memorized was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your hearts and do not lean on your own understanding in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will guide and direct your paths 
And I read that, and I memorized that, and I started reflecting on it, and I thought, I am in big trouble. Because that is the absolute opposite of the way that I live my life. Trust in the Lord with all of your head, and lean into your understanding so that you'll know how things go. That was probably my orientation to life, but it doesn't say that. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Your understanding is limited. Leave space for the mystery. Leave space for God. Leave space for faith. Let God surprise you. And and I had to kind of humble myself and say, I'm going to go for some things, Lord, that I don't understand, but I think your scriptures talk about. So that was the beginning of really, I suppose, my, my kind of journey into things charismatic, pursuing signs and wonders, beginning to see some stuff, struggling with the tension of what we didn't see, but, but not blaming God for it when the scripture seemed to point to it. Becky's story, which she'll share after coffee, was much more about the, the heart. So my, my head was stopping me out of get, getting out of the boat. Becky's heart would have been the issue. Not that she's a hard-hearted person, I have to say that quickly. Um, but just because she'd, she'd experienced a lot of wounding. And when you've experienced a lot of wounding in life, the natural tendency is to draw back, let others go first, not want responsibility, not take risks, play it safe. You still know the love of God, but you always prefer the intimacy in the, uh, in the encounter to the authority and the stand, in, the, in the sending and the stepping out into mission. And those two things, head and heart, are what God wants to address. Because every single one of us, on our side of the equation, there's a barrier. When the Lord says, come, as I believe he's saying again today, we'll find something in ourselves that needs to be overcome so that we can come and be with him. You, you are designed by God with the potential to walk on water. If that's what he wants you to do, you can do it. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? And he does want us to bring his healing. He does want us, as we encounter difficult situations, to bring him into them in a supernatural way. He, he, does, want us to show, he does want to show us a life that is beyond the, the life ordinary that we've led. He wants some of the things that we know in our heads to slip down into our hearts. He wants us to walk in a, in a supernatural, spirit-filled way, living the life of heaven now in the present day. Hebrews 6 talks about we are those who have tasted the powers of the age to come. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? Have you tasted the powers of the age to come recently? feels like that when we do, we're broken by it. What else... What else could we give our lives but to pursue that? To be with Jesus, to serve him better, to be partners in what he wants and is still doing upon the earth. So that's the setup. Um, Becky will knock it out of the park in the next uh, session. So I know you're going to really appreciate what she's going to share after that. I also know you're about to appreciate coffee, so I can't overstay my welcome. But I'd love to pray with you briefly. Um, Rachel's going to help us kind of just set the tone but you'd like to put your uh, Bibles down or should we stand is that okay we're not going to call anybody forward for prayer I don't think Um, but let's I'd love us to sort of say Lord here I am and if there are things that you're saying that I haven't heard before or perhaps I've heard before them but I've ruled myself out 
then I'd like you, Lord, to start addressing them today. Jesus uh, called his disciples and when he gave them power and authority after the resurrection, sent them into the world, he said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And we are no different from those first disciples. We may not have had the privilege of walking with Jesus in the flesh, but we have the records And we have the same Holy Spirit and the same call and commission. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. Thank you that you are here in a special way this day as we gather in the name of Jesus. At the start of the day, we pray that we'd hear your invitation. Come. That we can step out from what we know into things that we don't, that we haven't understood, we haven't seen before. And I would encourage you just to use this space to say to God, Lord, help me hear your voice and any barriers in me that might stop me from saying yes, that might stop me from stepping out. I ask you, Lord, to to touch them and to change them today. Jesus said, take heart, it is me, do not be afraid. So Lord, may we see you in a new way today and yet know that it is you. Even as we stand before you at the start of the day we pray that the Holy Spirit would begin just to minister into areas of need and lack and hurt and whatever our personality type or our spiritual background whatever our church tradition none of us should rule ourselves out from all the good things that the Father has for his children Lord we're hungry for all that you have and we thank you that you're not a God who withholds in Jesus name Amen Amen great thanks Norman